Well, an ancient Greek myth tells us that Persephone was going about her normal day when all of a sudden the ground opened up and swallowed her completely. She was now in the underworld, and everything around her was completely unfamiliar, and none of the logic that she had accumulated throughout her life for navigating life now applied at all. Persephone was now in what is known as liminal space. Liminal space is that space between where we've been and where we're going, or often between who we were and who we will become. This is where Persephone found herself in this moment of disorientation. And we get it. I mean, not, not all of it, because if you know the story of Persephone, you know there's a lot of strange stuff in her story as the goddess of the underworld that we can't relate to, but we do get it. Like us, Persephone wanted everything to go back to the way it was before. She wanted her life to be as it was before, which is, of course, normal. Liminal space is brought on by things we do not want. It is usually brought on and we are brought into it by something happening that we didn't expect or plan for or want, and yet we're thrust into this space and it's not fun, and that's true. But it's also true that this is the kind of moment, these are the kinds of spaces where we have the opportunity to experience the most growth. It's in these, these liminal spaces that we learn and we adapt and we reorient our lives and we rise to the occasion and so often where we experience transformation. This is the gift and the opportunity of liminal space when we're in it. And friends, we are, we are in it. This pandemic has rocked the foundations of our lives, causing so many things to shift and change in unexpected and unwanted ways. And most of us are now moving. We're moving in this space between where we were and where we're going, between who we were and who we will be. This is liminal space. And it is this space that has, of course, prompted the question of this series that we've been in since we moved back into this space. How now, in light of all of this, shall we live? It's a question that should prompt a variety of answers in each one of our lives, and surely will, answers we're all pursuing. But really, the, the point of the series hasn't been for you to leave here each and every week with some prescription from the pulpit that answers the individual questions that you're wrestling with as a result of this pandemic. But instead, to set the table for all of our individual wrestling with some God-sized glimpses and some God-sized guidance from Scripture about how we should always be living as God's people in God's world. And we've done this by looking at five characteristics of the kingdom of God. Five characteristics from the Bible that are meant to help us understand what it means for us to live always as God's people in God's world. And, and we chose these five characteristics. They're not the only characteristics of the kingdom of God, 
But we chose these characteristics because they, in some ways, resonate with our current experience. On the first week, we talked about what it means for us to live as gods. G-O-D apostrophe S. That we are gods. That we belong to God. That, That no matter what's going on in our life, this is the essence of our baptismal confession. That Jesus Christ is Lord. We belong to God. And on the second week... Because we live in this liminal space now, we talked about what it means for the kingdom of God to be already and not yet. The kingdom of God has come, and yet it's also coming. The kingdom is already and not yet, as we are also already and not yet. And we have this role as citizens of the kingdom to work at making the not yet the already. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Then on the third week, Because our lives have been flipped upside down in so many ways, we reminded ourselves that the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And Jesus talked about how this upside down kingdom is supposed to flip the world right side up. Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Jesus inaugurated the kingdom by announcing good news to the poor and the oppressed and the maligned and the mistreated and the marginalized. Upside down kingdom. And we're supposed to be working for the actualization of this too, as upside down as that may sometimes seem. And then since the beginning of this pandemic, we have returned again and again and again to Jesus' great commandment. And we've done this to remind ourselves that the way of the kingdom is always the way of love. And Jesus said we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and always love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus said this, and then he showed us this with every inch of his life, sacrificially. The story of Jesus, our story, is from beginning to end a love story, which makes it fitting, I think, that this series would end today with a sermon entitled Living Ever After. Because the phrase ever after, often preceded by the word happily, has long been wedded with love stories. Cinderella and Prince Charming lived happily ever after. Snow White and her prince lived happily ever after. Sleeping Beauty and her prince lived happily ever after, though we're seldom told the details of what that all means. In fairy tales, the happily in front of the ever after seems to imply that beyond that moment, everything was just peachy and perfect. But of course, we know that's never true. That's never true in in, in long-time love stories. That's not how it works. At some point, Prince Charming and Cinderella are going to argue about how to load the dishwasher. At some point, Prince Charming and Cinderella are going to argue about whether or not the the toilet paper should be unraveled from the front or, or from the back. At some point, one of them is going to get upset with the other about leaving the toothpaste out or leaving their socks lying around. Put your dishes in the dishwasher and and put your laundry away. At some point, one of them may convince the other that it's time to start having children, and we all know that that can send us into liminal space. In other words, there's always more to the story. There's always more to the story. Living ever after 
is less about some implied fairy tale ending and more about how we face the challenges facing us each and every day. And we know that real love is like this as well. Real love takes work. Over the long haul, it takes work infused with compassion and commitment and ongoing growth and grace. It unfolds over time with many twists and turns, created not just by the personalities of the people involved, but also how those personalities are affected by the complexities and the challenges of life. Ever after essentially means henceforth or from this time forward. Henceforth, or from this time forward, how shall we live? And of course, as I said, we're not going to get to all of the answers about that individually, either today or throughout this series that we've been through, or any day, because accessing and acquiescing those kinds of answers is a life's work. Especially when we're talking about the unfolding love story of our faith and our life with Jesus Christ. But for today... I think there are some helpful prompts from Jesus in the opening verses of this book, Acts, that was actually meant to give us a glimpse of what it means for us to live faithfully in our effort after. In fact, we see that right from these opening words where the author reminds us that this book we have in front of us is a sequel, The Gospel According to Luke, Part 2. In my former book, Theophilus, that means God lover, if you're looking for a baby name. Theophilus, which could be a proper name, or it, it could mean all of those God lovers that Luke is writing to. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he went up into heaven. Or in other words, this story flows from that story. This story has a foundation in that story, the gospel. And so if you want to understand the finer points of this story, you can't just start with this story. You have to go back to the finer points of that story, which is important because, you know, sometimes you can just start with the sequel and it's okay. You don't really need to know what happened before. This was true for me when I saw Rambo First Blood Part 2. I probably saw that movie a number of times over a number of years, maybe not even realizing that there was a first story before I even saw First Blood, and probably I would have been A-OK if I'd never seen that movie. But that's not true here. No, this sequel is more like the Back to the Future sequels or the Lord of the Rings sequels, where Acts is a connected continuation of all that came before it. And you really need to understand that. To know the origin story, which is also our story. Their story is rooted in the story, the gospel story. And ours should be as well. And this is one of the things I think this passage prompts us to consider. Our connection to the story. Do you feel that connection to the story? Is your life right now rooted in that story? In, do you have a connection? Do you sense that connection to the story? And if not, is it possible that right now God is prompting you and calling you to rekindle that connection to the story? What would it look like for you right now at this critical juncture in your life and in our lives to reroute your life in the story? As we live into this ever after, 
What would it look like for you to realign your life right now with the life and teaching of Jesus? That's one thing I think this passage may be prompting us to consider, each one of us today. Secondly, I wonder what it would look like for us to learn to wait on God the way Jesus was calling them to wait on God. Not, not passively, but prayerfully and actively as we pursue a vibrant relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes, and especially when we are waiting around in liminal space, we often just want to want to get things moving. We want to we want to get things going. But what we often see in Scripture is that God's will is in the waiting, and we certainly see that here. These people were ready. Jesus, are you going to now restore the kingdom? Is it time, Jesus? Are you ready, Jesus? And Jesus certainly was ready, but were they? Not yet. Not quite. Jesus says, look, God has so much in store for you in the days ahead, and I know you know that, and I know you want to know all the details of that, and you're ready to embrace that and engage that, but you're not, you're actually not quite ready. Not yet. So, so just wait. Go back home and, and, and wait, not passively, but actively and prayerfully for God's power and God's presence to come upon you because that's what you're going to need in the days ahead. And that's true for us as well. We desperately need to align our lives with the life and teaching of Jesus. And we also desperately need to attune our lives to the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, something that we believe happens when we receive Jesus into our lives, when we say yes to Jesus, but something that also Acts tells us happens again and again, that, that the Spirit will continue throughout our ever after with Jesus to refresh us and to empower us and to transform us and to guide us even as it grows fruit in us and through us. In Acts we see that a vibrant and growing church is filled with people who are fueled and fashioned by the living Spirit of God. And this is what I want to be true for us as well. And for that to be true, we're all going to have to work at it. This is something Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works within you. Paul reminds us that it's a collaborative process, that God is working on you and in you, and, and God is doing that now in each one of our lives, but you need to be working too. God is working in your life right now. Are you working with God? Are you prayerfully working to attune your life right now to God's Holy Spirit? I hope so. Because there are things that God has in store for you and for us, that will require the power and the presence of the Spirit. The specifics will be different, but the essence is the same. Jesus said to them and through them, 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in this community and far beyond it. There was a purpose to their empowerment. And there is a purpose to our empowerment as well. We have not been given the, God's grace and God's Spirit to simply wait around for heaven after earth. No, we've been given God's grace and God's Spirit so that we can participate with God in bringing God's heaven to earth. And so the passage prompts us to ask, are you nurturing a strong connection in your life right now to the life of Christ? Are you sensing a powerful and present connection with the Holy Spirit in your life right now? And how is all of that working itself out in a way that is bearing witness to Christ? The answers to these questions are not always obvious. But fortunately, we don't have to work at them or toward them alone. And that's something that we see both here and everywhere else in the New Testament. And so I, I want to close with this final little prompt from the passage. It's not always obvious, but I've reminded you before that the yous here and all around the New Testament are usually not singular, but plural, which means these yous from Jesus are actually y'alls. They and we, they are meant to wait together and to worship together, and to give together, and to grow together, and to serve together. They are meant to do that, and so are we. And that's actually one of the most obvious biblical answers to the question, how now shall we live? Together. That's what it means for us to be the church. No matter what happens, no matter what kind of liminal space we are living in, we're not meant to go at it alone. We're not meant to, to work this out or figure this out alone, but together with God and with one another. And so I wonder, as we continue to come out of this long era of disorientation and isolation, what it might look like for each of us and all of us to renew our commitment to that. To the one another. To renew our commitment to God and to one another. To renew our commitment in this present moment to our life together. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we pray that you would stir up your Holy Spirit and our sense of it, both in our midst, among us as a church, and in each one of our individual lives. That you would feel you, we would feel you, your Spirit, working in us, nudging us forward, clarifying our call in this present moment so that we could clearly begin to sense how it is that we are meant to now live in this world as your people. God, even now, as we reflect on your word, as we continue to worship, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, and that you would lead us now and in the days ahead. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.